Should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. So electrified looks different for everyone. Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Hello. Hi, Catherine. Did you get in by 8 p.m. last night? Yeah. Weird curfews. But, you know, and I I was feeling like it's weird because it's a summer night and it's nice out. And I aired my grievances, you know, as I was instructed to do by Jim Fallows, like therapeutically. And people said, well, in in Santa Monica, it's been 2 p.m. And in D.C., it's 7 p.m. So. Yeah, New York is 8 p.m. What? Where did you air your grievances? Uh, Twitter.com. Mm, the the grievance airing site. <laughs> no, I just made an observation that uh, as a public health directive, this is counterproductive right now. Right, right. We actually, so we've actually gotten a question from a listener, Jen, about the protests. She wrote in and asked, could you talk about how safe it is health-wise to take part in the protests? Hmm. I mean, we've been sort of talking for months about how the most important thing is just stay away from other people. Well, yeah, do so safely. I don't know. Have you gone and witnessed any of the protests of which we as journalists can't take part? But if you we cannot seen... take part, um, but I've seen a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I've, I've observed most every night I've been trying to just, you know, witness as much of this as possible. And there are people in all manner of distancing. I think, I, I, and I've spoken to some people who are kind of just handing out um, water bottles and masks and standing at the periphery and don't really feel comfortable getting anywhere mm-hmm. near the crowds and mm-hmm. are playing a part that way. And other people are doing activism online. And um, almost everyone is wearing masks. And that is clearly. Uh, good. Most people are not able to keep six feet apart during this. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't we just why don't we just do an overview of what we know about, you know, the science of transmission? Yeah, the review would be at the very beginning when we were uncertain of most everything. It seemed that much transmission was happening from surfaces, but mm-hmm. it seems to be less of a factor in transmission than previously assumed. So I've been scrubbing my hands raw for nothing? No, I wouldn't say that. I think that the most common form of transmission is prolonged indoor close contact. So between relatives, family members, Mm -hmm. cellmates, people who live in nursing homes, Mm -hmm. and it is not from uh, randomly touching a subway pole. It, it just means that masks are even more important. I would say so. Yeah. When you're protesting, outdoor transmission seems to be extremely limited. We know there, there are studies in restaurants now inside uh, churches at a choir practice that show when groups get together in enclosed spaces indoors, and especially when they are singing and or, you know, presumably yelling or chanting that's a dangerous scenario but it becomes much less dangerous when you're outdoors you're moving around do we really there are no studies showing outdoor transmission not to my knowledge um if you're out having a picnic and you sit with someone for an hour and 
you're real close to them, absolutely. You could definitely transmit it to them. But it is just much, um, much more safe than being indoors. So say that you had, um, you're uh, poisoning a glass of water and every just say, minute, just, yeah, just as you, an exa- just as a random do. example, right? Say you're poisoning a glass of water and you have an eyedropper, and every minute you drop in one one drop of poison into that glass of water. Mm-hmm. Um, and that because is, you want to be really th- deliberate about the amount of poison you're putting in this water. Right, right. So that is, say, your choir practice inside a, a small room in a the, in a church, and you stay there for an hour doing that, and someone in that room is dropping a you know a bit of poison every minute. That is eventually a very dangerous situation. And when you're outside, that same person is kind of dropping it into, you know, the, a, a lake. And mm-hmm. the exact same person becomes much less dangerous to others. Okay. Is that, is that a good, you know, visual? I don't analogy? know what's on your mind with the poison, but yeah, that it is an effective analogy. Okay. Yeah. The complicating thing I think about protesting too is that, you know, the idea is that when people are singing in a choir practice, you're sort of projecting, you're spewing a lot into the air. And a lot of people doing that simultaneously does increase the amount of, you know, respiratory droplets that are going to be floating around. Right. I mean, I've been reading that epidemiologists are like, wait two weeks and we're going to see a spike all across the country. So they must expect that this isn't completely safe. I think you can you can do it safely. I think there are going to be a lot of people who end up making conversation with someone or getting up in someone's face and having some kind of confrontation or scenarios like that where there could be an act of transmission. If you are careful to avoid that and don't fall into old ways of not social distancing just because you're in this new headspace, then... Um, it can be done very safely. So basically the the key is just, you know, keep distance when you can and wear a mask. It's complicated like usual, but also it is not inherently what's going to drive spikes in transmission. Um, then why are epidemiologists talking about spikes in two weeks? Well, I think these are really emotional and intense charged situations. And it feels like the urgency of this moment is such that everything else is irrelevant. And I think that's where you start to um, worry about transmission. So, uh, you know, right. without adjudicating that, I would just say that um, for people who are worried that they can't participate, there are ways to do it safely. And even if if you want to be absolutely safe, I think there there are ways to do, you know, to be at the periphery and be in supportive roles to people who are marching mm-hmm. it's when these scenarios get intense and people feel threatened or caught up in a moment of urgency that they lose the sense of ability to protest safely and that comes often from the escalation from people who are policing the protests um right right like i've seen several uh instances of protesters kind of being boxed in or actually pushed together by police. 
Yeah, you saw that last night on the Brooklyn Bridge and the Manhattan Bridge. That's the scenario where the police are, f- uh, you know, actually forcing people into close proximity. Right. And um, they're also arresting people and, you know, taking people to jail, which we've talked about is a dangerous place for transmission. So you may not be completely in control of your your ability to distance. Um yeah, they were loading people on buses. The, right. Um, th- there were a lot of stories of that of bus drivers refusing, and um, that's you know an interesting dynamic too of police just sort of trying to right. commandeer buses to become paddy wagons. But but it, yeah, forcing a bunch of people onto a bus is definitely an unsafe scenario, and that's kind of directly antithetical to everything that has been said before, and. and, and in terms of directives and, you know, how, you know, what's the real goal there, I guess. It is a, a strange time for messaging from the government, isn't it? Yeah. Just like different branches of the government are sort of acting in very different ways. But, I mean, I think one of the arguments from protesters might be what we're protesting against is also an existential health threat. Yeah. Like, the, these are, you know, we're protesting against lives being put in danger. Right. And as you see in here at these at the protests, um, it's largely about police violence, but it's about inequity of all sorts, right. including um, disparities in how COVID-19 has played out, who has gotten tested, who's gotten hit hardest by the, the disease, who has access to care. I mean, and, it's all connected, as we've talked about many times. Right, right. So I think when people have been left to feel you know, really disempowered and disenfranchised and helpless, um, they become willing to take on more risk. I mean, obviously we can't, (laughs) we can give health advice, but we can't tell people what to do, obviously. Um, Everybody's reaction to this moment in our history is up to them. But every health scenario involves trade-offs, right? And it seems like this is another situation where you know, I'm sure people participating are are weighing these trade-offs. Right. So we've talked about what anyone participating in the protest might think about safety. Are there things that the government or police forces could do to make these protests safer? Yeah. You know, it's similar to my feeling about policing parks, really. L- like th- the notion that these things should be contained into small spaces and small periods of time will also create density um Mm -hmm. and theoretically the more that you could allow people to be spaced out and to safely protest the less transmission you would see Mm -hmm. whereas the mutual escalation and earlier curfews and you know deployment of more and more force to draw stricter boundaries and to arrest more people this that's the cycle that i'm really worried about it's hard to understand the rationale here. It's like all of this stuff we've been doing to try to slow the spread is actually being reversed in some way. Right. That's what I'm really worried about is that escalation. And it it requires really deft leadership to be able to de-escalate and to be able to mm-hmm. give people a lot of space and time and support to safely protest. Um and not, <laughs> I guess, 
give in to the temptation of whatever posturing it is that says you're going to crack down and crack down mm-hmm. and force people into small spaces and arrest them and give them less space and give them less time to be out in the world. And I mean, that seems to be the universal dynamic here is there's some instance of looting or a police van is burned or something. And the political reaction has to be, we're going to clamp down real hard, you know, immediately mm-hmm. punitive mode. Um, and that makes people act out more, but it also drives people more into higher risk transmission scenarios, either because they're in jail or because they're in a very confined protest space or they're trapped on a bridge or they're in a, a bus being held. Um, right, right. So that's actually where the transmission is going to happen. I mean, that's not necessarily worried. like people walking down a wide avenue. Yeah, people in D.C. have told me that right. you know the grocery stores are suddenly way more crowded because everybody's trying to get in before 7 p.m. And right. At, right. in that window between ending work at 5 or 6 and having to make sure you have everything you need by 7 and that you've gone for your walk or your run um, and taken walk the dog or whatever, this right. is suddenly things are very crowded. Yeah, this is helping clarify something for me is that there are safe ways to participate in protests for an individual. So it's not necessarily the protests themselves that are going to cause the spike, but the reaction to the protests is definitely creating situations where we're going to see transmission. I mean, I think the reaction not only makes the protests more intense and sort of antagonistic. I was there the first night at at Barclay Center, you know, observing Mm -hmm. and just seeing that it, it felt like the entire NYPD was there, just enti- many, many blocks of just solid police cars and police and riot gears, helmets and and batons just marching through. It did not feel like these people are here to make sure that you're safe while you're protesting. It felt like mm-hmm. get out of here. And that antagonism, I, I just feel like that that escalates unnecessary incidents of Transmission as well as property damage and everything that everyone wants to avoid right now. Right. Given that you and I, unfortunately, have no no power, period, um, no political power, uh, the thing we, the only thing we can say to Jen is, is to do the best to protect yourself given these circumstances and to be aware of the things that are not actually in your control when you're participating. Yeah. But to, yeah, the, yeah. to, to the extent that things are in your control when you're participating – you know, all of the same rules that we've been talking about apply. Outdoors is better. Distance from other people is good. Wearing a mask is really important. And trying to not be sort of talking or shouting too close to other people's faces for too long. Yeah, yeah. Just like all the same rules apply. The same rules apply and the same spirit of selflessness too. I mean, people are mostly out in the streets because they want a better world and they care about other people mm-hmm. and um, that can be done safely. And if it's a scenario where you feel it's not being done safely or can't be done safely, um, avoiding transmission of the virus is also an act of caring about people and trying to minimize right. harm in the world. So these are things to keep in mind. Right. Right. That's good to know. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, Catherine, did you notice anything on the uh, Atlantic.com today? I noticed you started a column without telling me. I I thought I told you. 
You did not tell me. I looked on theatlantic.com, and there's a new column called Paging Dr. Babyface, and you didn't even That's tell me that you were writing called. a column. That's not may have gotten to you, too. It's Paging Dr. Hamblin, um, a reference to pagers, and we're going to do weekly questions there from readers and possibly you know, we, we've gotten a lot so many great questions here more um questions than we can answer on the podcast and some of those mm-hmm. i might reach out to people who've written to us at social distance and ask if they wouldn't mind if i you know use their question and address it in a written column instead of audio um but we'll be doing that every wednesday now well i'm gonna say uh I've been thinking a lot about um, this podcast project we worked on called Floodlines, which is about the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans. And there's a lot of discussion in that show about, you know, how the national media covered looting and stories of, you know, quote, chaos in the days after that disaster and how the police responded, um, including a moment very similar to the one we're going in right now where where Bush considered invoking the Insurrection Act and sending in the military. So um, I've been thinking about it a lot. And if anyone listening to this hasn't listened to that project yet, it's, a, it's an eight-part audio series on New Orleans called Floodlines. So just going to put in a plug for that, too. Okay. This show was produced today by Alvin Mellis. Write us at socialdistance at theatlantic.com. You can also call us if you'd like at 202-642-6487. So our next episode will come out on Friday. Um, and I think we, we should follow up on this idea of like how kind of different city government agencies are sort of like how how do we actually distribute power and resources among them? And what does it mean when they're kind of working at cross purposes? Yeah, when are we suddenly so much more concerned about the plate glass windows outside Macy's that we um, decide to cram people into their apartments? Uh, right, right. When there's a pandemic, curfews and and jail a lot of people, and um, yeah, yeah. Have we yeah. kind of lost perspective? I don't know. Let's see. <laughs> Let's see what we can find out. Just asking questions. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay, that sounds good. Let's follow up on that. Okay. Okay. Talk to you later. Bye. So, should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander. Or we could do something in between, like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So, Toyota is electrified diversified? Yep, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly. How much coffee have you had this morning? Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero.